2015. Um, yeah, woohoo! It's a new year, right? I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm very excited for this new year. Do you want to know why? So one of the things that I like to do with the new year is I like to uh, prayerfully take one word to kind of define my year, to be a focus point of my year. And for 2014, it was the word grace. And I tell you what, that word grace, always being on the forefront of my mind for a whole year, really kept me focused. It helped me love my community better. It helped me love myself better. And for 2015, the word that came to my mind was generosity. And I'm excited to have that be my focal point for 2015 and how the Lord may want to use that. So I welcome 2015 with open arms. Anyways, my name is Brianna, and it is lovely to be with you again this morning. I'm a family member here at Woodland Hills, and I have had the privilege of preaching here a few times. And I want to say thank you again for having me back. I'm excited this morning. I'm excited about the message that I get to share So during the Christmas season, Greg went through a series called BC. It was a time in which we had to look at the lineage of Jesus and all the prophecies and the things that led up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And now we are entering into a new sermon series, and I am extremely excited about this new sermon series. It's called Women on the Outside. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the ways in which the kingdom of God brings the women who've been cast to the outsides to the inside. Because you see, when the time of, I like to say in Bible times, sometimes I just like to keep it simple. So in Bible times, women had no role in society. Women were considered second-class citizens. Women were on the outside. But through the Christ event, with the inauguration of the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus Christ, we see something different. We see Jesus working from the outsides. And therefore, we see Jesus saying to women who have been throughout centuries second-class citizens, we see Jesus saying to those women, you are now on the insides, and I welcome you. So for the next few weeks, we get to read story after story of women on the outside. And how gnarly is it that our church commits a handful of weeks to focusing on these stories? Praise Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So let's see. One of the things that I like to say whenever I have the opportunity to preach is that I love dialogue, right? You guys maybe have heard me say this before. So we welcome the amens and the hallelujahs. Like, I really like it when you guys talk back because I think sermons are done best in community. And by you talking back, by us having a dialogue, that, my friends, is community. So let us talk together for this next hour. Oh, I love it. I'm Marty Jazz. Okay, so we have women on the outside. This is our sermon series. But what are we going to talk about today? Today, my friends, we're going to look at one particular story of a woman on the outside. And her story is found in the Gospel of Mark. And she hails from the region of Galilee. That is the scene of her story. And this woman has become somewhat of a mentor to me. She really has. Through my years of following Jesus, I have read her story time and again. And over the years of reading her story, she continues to teach me and to grow me and to show me what it is to be a bold follower of Jesus, what it is to be a courageous follower of Jesus, what it is to break through societal norms for the sake of bringing the kingdom. This woman whom I've come to know so dear, I have come to give a name. As a woman from the region of Galilee, I've come to call her Gail. And so, my friends, today we are going to be looking at the story of my friend Gail. 
And her story is a story of a woman on the outside. And so, like I said, it comes from the Gospel of Mark, okay? That's where her story is found. And one of the things, if you guys are familiar at all with the Gospel of Mark, or just as you continue reading through it, one of the things you'll notice about Mark is that he kind of has a tendency when he tells stories to do what is now known as a Markin sandwich. (laughs) Okay, that's what scholars have come to know. What Mark is so fond of doing is he'll start one story, okay? And then it's almost as though his ADD kicks in, and then he goes on to a completely different story. And you think, dude, Mark, where are you taking us? And when he's done with that, secondary story, he goes right back to his first story. So there's like two stories wrapped up. It's a Markin sandwich. And I thought, to remain faithful to the style of Mark, I'm going to construct my sermon into a sandwich sort of a style. Okay, so the first thing that I want us to do together as a community is to look at the plot of Mark. Since Gail's story is found in Mark, I think it is appropriate and in fact necessary to understand what is Mark's story. What is the theme of Mark's story? What are the conflicts of Mark's story? So that's going to be the first layer of this sermon sandwich that we're going to do, is seeing the plot and the conflicts of Mark's story. Because once we understand that, even just a little bit more, we get to understand Gail's story that much more powerfully. Because I think in order to understand a story, you need to understand the context in which it is written. Is that right? So the meat of our story will be Gail in her experience with Jesus. And then the bottom half of our sandwich is kind of a bridging of it all together. The ways in which Mark's story accentuates Gail's story. So we're going to bridge them together and we're going to talk about a few application points in what we can learn from Gail. Are you with me? Does that sound all right? Oh, I saw someone do a fist bump. I really like that. Cool. Let's get hand gestures in there too. Um, All right, let's pray together, friends, and then we're going to dive right in. Father God, thank you that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have inaugurated the kingdom here and now. Father God, thank you that your kingdom expands the boundaries that we have constructed. Thank you that your kingdom starts from the outside and brings people in to your family. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts powerfully to hear the message of your kingdom. May we be moved by Gail's story in the ways in which you have changed her life. So Holy Spirit, draw us together as a family. And as a family, as a community, may we be made more into your image. We give you this time. And together as a family, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so for the top half of our sermon sandwich, what we're going to do is I'm kind of going to go in a lecture style, okay? We're just going to breeze through Mark's overarching theme, the overarching theme to Mark's plot, Then I'm going to give you a few sub-points to Mark's plot. And then after that, I'm going to move into the conflicts that we see in Mark's plot, because every good plot has conflicts. So we're going to talk about a few of the conflicts that arise from Mark's overarching theme. Because when we start to understand these things just a little bit more, we get to see the ways in which Gail's story is accentuated that much more. Okay, does that make sense? So here we go. We're going to start tracking with Mark. It's a little bit of a lecture style, then I'll probably move into a little bit of a preaching style because Gail gets me very excited. So, starting off with Mark, the plot of Mark. The plot of Mark's story is unified around one overall theme. And what is that one overall theme? It is this. And after I say this, I kind of hope for a few amens because this gets me super jazzed. Mark's overall theme is God is establishing God's rulership over the creation that God created and bringing it into fulfillment. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you guys make me so excited. This is Mark's overall theme that God is establishing God's rule right here, right now. And it's a giant rule, right? It's a cosmic rule. And I don't want us to limit the scope of God's rulership. Because I think sometimes we have a tendency to do that. Maybe God's rulership is only about individual salvation. Maybe God's rulership is only about cultural and political transformation. But the second sub-point to Mark's overall theme is this, my friends. That God's rule is cosmic in nature. The rule of God has arrived and it is cosmic. And this is what unifies Mark's story. The inauguration of God, of God's rule, is over all creation. It's over all people. It's over all of nature, over all of Israel, over all of the nations, and over the Roman Empire. This is the scope of God's rule. It's cosmic, and it's so much bigger than we anticipate. And so the, the events, when we continue reading through Mark, the events that follow this overarching theme are simply consequences. They are the realities. They are the active realities of God's rule. So when we read events like healings and exorcisms and transformations and new life and discipleship, my friends, these are all the events of God's inaugurated kingdom. Amen. Another point to Mark's plot is this, that Jesus takes center stage. Jesus is the focus, the main character of Mark's plot. Jesus is the one that with the incarnation, he is the one who inaugurates the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We do not need to wait for it. It is not some future event, but Jesus taking the form of the flesh says, guess what? My kingdom is available for you here and right now. And I'm going to prove that with the events of healings and exorcisms and social transformation and lives change. It's available to us now. Praise Jesus. The kingdom of heaven has come. The rule of God is not, again, just a future event. The kingdom of God is not confined to life after death. No, it's here. It is now. And this proves uh, Mark's overarching unified theme, that the kingdom of God is here and now because God's rule is here and now. Amen. So that is the plot, right? That is Mark's, in a, in a very brief way, that is Mark's overall plot. And every good plot has conflicts. Conflict, I believe, is at the heart of most stories. And what is the purpose of conflict? What does conflict show us? Well, we see that conflict reveals core values, doesn't it? Conflict reveals the core values and the beliefs of a story. Something emerges when conflict arises. We can see the depths of the plot. We can see the depths of the story when conflict arises. And we see that throughout Mark. And we'll see that in Gail's story. And once we start to understand the conflicts to the plot of Mark's story, we can see the ways in which this conflict affects Gail and her stories. So where we're going next is I'm just going to highlight a few points of conflict that we see with the kingdom of God coming here and now. The first point of conflict is this. In the endeavor of bringing God's rule, Jesus faces obstacles and oppositions from non-human forces, from the authorities, from the disciples. People are sick, right? A storm threatens life. These are all oppositions. The authorities oppose Jesus. Even the disciples resist his teachings. Conflict really is key to Mark's overall plot. And should this surprise us? I mean, if we think about it, if the overall plot, if the unified theme to Mark's story is that the kingdom of God is here and now and God's rule is cosmic in nature, 
Should we be surprised then that conflict arises? Does not scripture tell us time and again that if you choose to be my disciples and if you choose to bring the kingdom, guess what? Opposition is going to come your way. That is, that is like a guarantee. Once I said yes to Jesus Christ, I can promise myself that conflicts are going to come. And why is this? Oh, I believe there are a handful of reasons. But ultimately, I believe conflict arises because the rule of God challenges power. We have created power structures for ourselves, my friends. We have said these are the ways in which the the whole thing works. But Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to show you something different. And that something different actually isn't what you have constructed at all. And so once Jesus comes in and challenges those traditional power structures, of course, opposition is going to arise. The ways of this world say power is done by taking power over. But Jesus comes along and says, guess what? My kingdom, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wash your feet. And this is the way of power. I am going to heal the sick. And this is the way of power. I'm going to go to the outsides. I'm going to make myself available on the outsides and bring people in because that is my kingdom. And this is the new way of power. And people who are on top don't dig that so much. Opposition arises. What's another point of conflict? God's rule generates conflict because it initiates a transformation. Of the cosmic and social orders. God's rule initiates transformation. Is not the kingdom of God all about transformation? It initiates transformation of cosmic and social orders. And guess what? The arrival of God with this, God shares that power with God's people to continue that transformation process. God is a generous God and says, I'm coming to bring about social and cosmic transformation and I want to share that with you. So we now as followers of Christ also have the power to continue transformation. Amen. Another point of conflict. God's rule initiates conflict. Why? Because it invades territories of uncleanness. It invades territories of uncleanness. In Mark's story... What we see time and again is that society has created boundaries, right? And these boundaries are to guard against those who are unclean. The authorities in Mark's story believe that to attain holiness, what people need to do is separate themselves from the people and the things that are considered unclean. So these boundaries, multiple, multiple boundaries are created against, against the lepers, right? Against women who have blood issues, which all women usually do, against corpses and impure foods, these weird things that are considered unclean, we see that the authorities say, let's create boundaries so that we can stay holy. We need to separate ourselves from those who are considered unclean. But what does the rule of God do? The rule of God breaks those boundaries. And that is going to raise conflict. Another point is this, that God's rule engenders conflict because God is acting outside traditional channels of power, right? Just when we start to think that we understand God, he comes along and says, I'm doing something different. When we think that God is confined to a church building or like the Judean authorities thought that God's kingdom is confined in Jerusalem, what happens? Well, we see that the rule of God actually takes place on the outside. Jesus breaks those boundaries and says, I'm going to start to bring my kingdom from the outside. I'm not going to work at the center in Jerusalem. Rather, where I'm going to go is I'm going to go to a place like Galilee, And I'm going to heal people there. You cannot confine me and you cannot confine my kingdom. And I'm going to start in the places that you expect at least. And this will create opposition. Jesus works from the outside. Jesus works from the margins. 
Fourth and final point is this. The rule of God generates conflict. Why? Because it ruptures the conventional conception of God. And it creates a new understanding of God. So instead of guarding boundaries, Jesus crosses boundaries. Instead of remaining in the temple, God breaks out and becomes available to everybody. Let me say that again. God breaks out and becomes available to everybody. Yes, 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 yes. Instead of withdrawing from defilement, instead of saying, you know what, these boundaries are actually a really good thing, what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to those who are considered the most unclean and says, I'm going to make you holy. You cannot keep me confined. God does not work from the center. God works from the outside. And from the outside, my friends, is where we find my friend Gail. So that was the top of our little sermon sandwich. We got Mark's plot. And try to keep those things on the forefront of your mind, okay? That God's rule has come. Jesus takes center stage. And all the events that are happening are all because God's rule has come to shatter our expectations. So from the outside, where Jesus is moving, let us now move into the meat of our sermon sandwich. And I want to introduce you to my very dear friend, Gail. Is that all right? Can we move on? All right, so just in the same way that we kind of went bullet by bullet about the plot and conflicts of Mark, so too I'm going to do this with Gail's story. But first, we're going to start just by reading her story. And it's found in Mark chapter 5. And it's going to come up on the screens, and I want us to just read it together. You guys can read it out loud. You can read it silently to yourselves. But I'm just going to read it outside, or out loud for you now. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And here's where we see Mark's ADD. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his cloak, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhages stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched me? And his disciples said to him, "Uh, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He kept looking around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling. She fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Amen. Amen. This is my friend, Gail. This is the kingdom of God. And so here we go. Where we're going next is we're just going to take it verse by verse. Because I want you guys to come to know Gail in the same ways that I have come to know Gail. She has rocked my world, and she continues to rock my world. And as we go through Gail's story, my prayer is that we would engage our imagination. We say that a lot here at Woodland Hills, don't we? Use your imagination. Because we actually believe that once all five senses are engaged, that we can come to understand a story that much more powerfully. 
So as we go through Gail's story, I encourage us all, myself included, to engage your imagination. I want us to visualize this story. I want us to put ourselves in Gail's shoes. And I think in doing so, we can come to see the depths in the power of God's rule and see the depths in the power of Gail's courage. Okay, so our imagination's ignited. Are we ready to go? Let's do this. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And that's where we're going to start. Imagine that, my friends. So Jesus just crossed the Sea of Galilee, and he's now on the shore in the Galilee region. And a large crowd came, and we're waiting for Jesus. And now this isn't just a crowd of a few dozen people, right? This is a crowd, a massive crowd. Think of it like this. Think of like a Black Friday shoppers. <laughs> Think of those type of crowds, hungry type of crowds. Or think of, if you're more of a music lover, think of your, your greatest rock concert experience. Like something like that. That type of a crowd that is just crazy. Like we're talking hundreds, maybe even thousands of people gathered around. I went, uh, I used to live in California. And when I was there, I, I did youth ministry. And um, while I was there, I had an opportunity, not with my youth ministry, <laughs> but just on my own. I went to a Dave Matthews concert at an outdoor venue. And it was one of the coolest experiences ever. It was so great. Um, but what was interesting, and this is what I visualize when I think about the crowd, is that after the opening act was done and the Dave Matthews band came on stage, like the entire outdoor arena went crazy. And we just like slowly, like, like lava, started making our way to the stage. And you couldn't not move. Like you were being pressed in on, and everybody was just moving closer to the stage. So envision that, right? This is the type of crowd that we're talking about. A large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. Enter stage right, Gail. Now there was a woman who had been suffering, who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And we're going to pause here and we're going to break this down a little bit more because I think if we just read that on surface level, we don't get the significance of that. But when you have hemorrhaging for 12 years, and hemorrhaging really is a severe chronic bleeding issue. Gail was struggling with this disease for 12 years. And we see, because scripture tells us, that she was suffering. So this was a painful disease. This chronic disease that would not leave her was so physically painful that she was probably, as I did a little bit of research, like having to crouch over. I'm sure it was so difficult for her to even stand up straight. The pain was so intense. And not only was the pain so intense, but what happens when you lose so much blood over 12 years? You become weak, right? So she's pro anemia probably set in. So she is physically weak. And she is in extreme amounts of pain. And she has been suffering with this disease for 12 years. Envision that, my friends. 12 years of extreme pain and physical weakness. And not only that, but as a woman with bleeding issues, she's got two strikes against her. Two strikes that cast her to the outside. First, she's a woman. Bum deal for her back in those days. She's already on the outsides. But what's even more is that she's a woman with a severe and chronic bleeding issue. And what we know about that is that women who struggled with bleeding issues are considered ceremonially unclean. She was unclean. According to the Jewish law, any woman with blood discharge must be cast aside because she's unclean. 
And now Mark's original hearers of this story would know that. So when they read, like, oh my goodness, this woman has severe hemorrhaging. She is seriously on the outside. She is unclean. Because they're Jewish people and they were familiar with Jewish law. And when we go to Leviticus, we read where this comes from and why she was considered unclean. So we're going to read a little bit of Leviticus, a little Old Testament for you. Here we go. When a woman has a discharge of blood... That is her regular discharge from her body. She shall be in her impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be made unclean until the evening. Everything upon which she lies during her impurity shall be unclean. Everything also upon which she sits shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. Whoever touches anything upon which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening, whether it is the bed or anything upon which she sits. When he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. If any man lies with her and her impurity falls on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Yes, we're still going. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her impurity, or if she has a a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies during all the days of her discharge shall be treated in the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her impurity." Whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. Amen? (laughs) Question mark? No wonder why contemporary Christians don't read the Old Testament. Who can understand this? And it's terribly repetitious. But I wanted to highlight this. Why? Because this is Gail's reality. Gail is stuck in this. Gail is in a perpetual state of uncleanness. And not only is she unclean, but everything that she touches be unclean. So she's a woman and she's cast to the outside, right? And everybody around her knows that she's a woman who has struggled with 12 years of bleeding. So they are ultimately cast to the outside, which means she is incredibly lonely. Gail has no family. Gail has no friends. Gail has nobody because she is unclean. This is where she remains. Pained, suffering, in totally alone. Let's keep moving forward. She endured much under many physicians and spent all that she had. She endured much under many physicians and spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather she grew worse. So out of total desperation, out of being so afraid because she's been alone for so long, Gail decides, like, I'm going to go to doctor after doctor because maybe, oh my God, maybe they can help me. I am so painful right now, and I just want this disease to be gone. So she goes to doctor after doctor, and she spends all that she has, and she's not made well. Imagine that, okay? Imagine putting your hope in like, maybe the doctors can make me well. And doctor after doctor saying to you, I got nothing for you. There's no cure for your disease. You're going to be sick for the rest of your life. And you're going to be alone because of your uncleanness. But she had heard about Jesus. 
She had heard about Jesus. And what, my friends, did she hear about Jesus? All we need to do is go back and mark and to see what she heard about Jesus. Of course she was familiar. People were talking about this crazy man named Jesus. And what she had heard were things probably like this. She heard that he casts out demons. She had heard that Jesus has authority over Mother Nature by calming the storms. She had heard that Jesus redefines family when Jesus said to the crowds, Well, whoever does the will of my father... They're the ones who are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. So she had heard that. She had heard that Jesus calls people like tax collectors and sinners into discipleship. All of these things, right, that completely obliterate our ideas, our traditional ideas of what maybe the kingdom of God looked like. She had heard that, and she decided to do something about it. She had heard about Jesus, this Jesus who takes center stage in the plot of Mark, These healings, these exorcisms, these calmings of the storm are all events to say the kingdom of God has come. And it has come now. So upon hearing all these stories about Jesus, what does Gail do? She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. So here we see, my friends, let us again engage our imaginations. And what do we know about Gail's situation? She is unclean. She is cast to the margins. And anything, as we saw in the Levitical law, that anything that she touches becomes unclean. And so what does Gail do upon hearing about Jesus? She says, dudes, I'm risking it all. I don't even care anymore. I am so desperate. I am so aware of my need. I am going to make my way through this crowd because maybe, just maybe, if I touch Jesus' clothes, I will be made well. So she risks everything. You know what could have been done to her? She could have been stoned to death. Because she's unclean, because she's a woman on the outside, but she breaks into this crowd. And it's a crowd of pressing in on Jesus. So, of course, we have this weak woman who's doubled over in pain and who's so physically weak. I would think the only way to make through a a crowd is to crawl. So she's crawling her way, telling herself time and again, if I touch Jesus' clothes, I will be made well. If I touch Jesus' clothes, I will be made well. She's mustering up the courage with every crawl she takes, making people unclean along the way. You can't crawl through a crowd and not touch people. She risked everything. She said, I know I'm unclean and I'm going to make other people unclean, but I need to touch Jesus because maybe, just maybe, he can make me well. What happens? Immediately, her hemorrhages stopped and she felt in her body. She felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. Think of that. 12 years of experiencing chronic pain and weakness, she felt immediately that she had been made well simply by touching the clothes of Jesus. Amen. Yes. This, my friends, is the kingdom of God. This, my friends, is what's available to us here and now. So that is what she chose to do. She chose to risk everything. And out of total desperation and total need, she crawled her way, touched the clothes of Jesus, and immediately felt in her body that she was healed. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Gail knew. Dude. (laughs) What's going to happen? She doesn't know how Jesus is going to respond. She knows that she could be uh, uh, cast to the sides forever. She knows that she could even be crucified or or stoned to death. She has no idea how Jesus is going to respond. And so when Jesus says, who touched me, think of the fear that must have gone through Gail's mind. 
And when Jesus says, who touched me? The crowds are aware now like, oh, somebody touched her. What's happening? Aren't we all touching him? I don't really understand what's going on. But he's declaring, somebody touched me because power left me and I felt it. Who was it? So the crowds are looking around. And I imagine that they see Gail coming. And they think, oh, she's so busted. What's going to happen? She comes in fear and trembling before the Lord. And she tells him the whole truth. Now, again, using our imaginations, let's think of what this is like. I bet the crowd stopped and just watched and listened closely to what Jesus might say. How is Jesus going to respond to her? Everything hangs on this moment. How is Jesus going to respond? And here's Gail, right? She comes in fear and trembling. And when you come in fear and trembling, I would imagine that your voice is kind of shaky, that maybe your voice is kind of quiet, that she was um, afraid, and so she probably came to him crawling. So she's like way down here, right? And saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, but it was me. I have been so sick for 12 years and doctors can't even help me. In fact, I even got worse. But Jesus, I heard about you and I thought maybe, just maybe if I touch your clothes, maybe you would make me well. And I'm sorry because I know I made all these people unclean because I touched them because I'm a woman who's been cast to the outside for 12 years. But Jesus, I just had to touch you. What's going to happen? Everybody's waiting to hear how will Jesus respond? And Jesus' response, my friends, is the kingdom. Because what does he say? I imagine Jesus wanting to hear is also crouched down. And he's looking right at her, listening to her story. And he said to her, daughter, 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 your faith has made you well. Jesus is saying not just to my friend Gail, daughter, but he's saying to all the crowds, this woman who of you have cast off to the outside, guess what? I am calling her daughter. And she is the only one bold enough to crawl to me. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Yes, amen. This is the kingdom of God, my friends. And this... And this is Gail's boldness because everybody else were just curious onlookers. Everybody else just wanted to look of this, you know, gnarly dude named Jesus. But Gail was the only one, this unclean woman was the only one bold enough to walk and crawl her way through the crowds. She was the only one saying like, I've heard about Jesus and maybe if I just touch his clothes, I could be made well. She boldly risked it all. And Jesus says to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Immediately, she was healed of her disease. She felt in her body, oh my goodness, I don't have this pain anymore. And Jesus says, I'm not going to stop there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to welcome you into my family. I'm going to give you back a community. I am going to give you back recognition. I'm going to give you back that which you so desperately long for, which is actually relationship with me. I give it to you. This is the kingdom of God. And this is what we participate in. We, because like I said earlier, have that same power because God shares God's power with us to transform lives. The kingdom of God starts on the outside. It starts on the margins. And so what is our takeaway? Where do we go from here? What is the bottom part to this sermon sandwich? I think it's this. And what I want to leave us with is this. First off, let's acknowledge Gail's boldness. Let's acknowledge Gail's boldness and maybe learn something from that. 
She was unclean and she was in pain, but she had a relentless pursuit for the healing touch of Jesus. This is what we can take away. Is how, do we live that out? Do we live out that same relentless pursuit saying, I have tried everything, you know what, but maybe, just maybe, Jesus has something different for me and I'm not going to stop at anything. Rather, I'm going to risk it all just to touch his clothes. May we be made and become as relentless as Gail. Another take-home point is this. Gail was unclean, but she did not let that define her. She said, maybe Jesus will define me differently. We all have those things in our lives, right? That we think this is too dirty. Jesus cannot possibly love me because I have done this. Maybe we hold on to our own ideas of uncleanness and, and we, we don't allow ourselves to come to the feet of Jesus because we think he's, there's no way. But Gail believed something different. Gail said, maybe Jesus will receive me too. And so my friends, my encouragement for all of us this morning is if you are holding on to something like that, if you are thinking to yourself, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. You don't know how unclean I really am. Yeah, I do. I'm unclean. I have made countless mistakes. The color of sin that has stained my robe is a very vibrant red. But I choose every single day to say, Jesus, you have made me clean. And so too does Gail. Amen. Amen. There is nothing... If you get anything from this message, what we see in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God says, your uncleanness, I'm going to make clean. My friends, this is available to us all. And so if you have been keeping yourself from walking a radical life with Jesus because you think you're too unclean, let me tell you something. You are not. You are not. Jesus says, I love you. And you belong in my family. These are just a few take-home points that we can take with us. The kingdom of God has come, my friends. The kingdom of God looks very different than what we anticipated. The kingdom of God will come from the outsides and work its way in. The kingdom of God starts with those who acknowledge their need and crawl in boldness to the feet of Jesus. This is the story of my friend Gail. And she has rocked my world and I pray that as you go out, that you would read Mark a little bit differently. I pray that Gail's story would continue to touch you. And that through the readings of Gail's story, we might come to understand the kingdom just a little bit more. Because here at Woodland Hills, we love to say that we are kingdom people bringing the kingdom. We are kingdom people bringing the kingdom. And that means that we get to expand the healing power of Jesus Christ. And that means that maybe what we need to do is start thinking about those who are on the outside. Because that seems to be where it starts. Amen. Amen. My friends, I'm going to close us in prayer. And as I close us in prayer, I'd like to invite the prayer ministers to come up. Prayer is the heartbeat of who we are at Woodland Hills. We believe in the power of prayer. And so I just encourage you, if you have any prayer needs whatsoever, if you have praises, come on up and share them with us. We would love to pray over you. So let us pray and I'll let you be on your way. Father God, thank you that you inaugurated the kingdom of heaven here and now through the incarnation. Thank you, Father God, that your kingdom looks differently than what we might anticipate it to be. Jesus, would you soften our hearts with a humility to say, God, you define your kingdom, not me. 
God, would you give us the strength and the humility to expand your kingdom by risking everything, by going to the outsides, by, by helping those who have been cast to the margin and saying, you know what, you have a different story. Father God, would you give us that boldness to do it? Continue by your power to make us in to the people you call us to be. Thank you for Gail. Thank you for her story. Touch us with it, God. May we leave this place different than how we entered. And together, as a family, we say these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, friends.